This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the podcast that keeps you updated and educated. Hello and welcome to Tech Guide, episode 557. Great to have your company once again. My name is Stephen Fennec and I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. This week, forget forget remembering your passwords because Apple's introducing passkeys. The race to have the cheapest EV in Australia is on in earnest and the Optus CEO admits they could have done things better after the data breach. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to take a look at the new Google Pixel tablet. MGI has launched a new high-tech remote control golf buggy, and Hisense has released its 2023 range of smart TVs. And we'll answer all of your tech questions, of course, in the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear. They're the company that keeps you connected, and we're also supported by Norton, the company that keeps you protected. Don't you hate it when you forget your password or you gotta you gotta try to create a lot of different passwords for all your different accounts? That's the, that's reality right now. And later on we're gonna talk about the Telstra survey about how how poor our password game really is. But before we do that, what if I told you that remembering a password is about to become a thing of the past? Well, if anyone is adopting iOS 17, iPad OS 17, and Mac OS Sonoma, these were the the operating systems that were announced at the Worldwide Developers Conference recently, Apple has confirmed that the pass key will be supported by these platforms so you can use your face ID or touch ID instead of a password. Now this was the 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 pass key was announced a year ago at twenty at twenty twenty two worldwide developers conference, and it's taken until now for this to for the rubber to hit the road. So a pass key is what it's a unique digital key that's generated and stored on your device. In this case, it's the iPhone, the iPad, or the iMac. Now to begin with. This will only work on your signing into your Apple ID or any other Apple web property, whether it's it's Apple Music or whatever. You can use your passkey instead of a password. So remember, the passkey is a digitally encrypted key that's stored on your device. So this takes the place of a password. So... Once the digital key is generated, what you need to do to verify that key is use your biometric verification. So it's either face ID or touch ID. So think of that as your second factor of authentication. So the digital key is on your device. Once you come to the site, it'll say, okay, we've got your pass keys right here. You need to confirm you are who you say you are with your touch ID or face ID, and then boom, you're in. So rather than having to sign in, wait for the a, a number on your phone, to the code to type in. 
that's it's it's all accepted on the spot and without you having to remember a password because your face and your finger are kind of your password and your two-factor authentication at the same time. Now, there's already some websites that are accepting pass keys and, and really important ones too, like eBay and PayPal, where there's money involved, there's, there's cash can exchange, they are accepting pass keys as a way to sign into your account. So you think about the benefits of this. Number one, you don't have to remember a password. You don't have to remember a big, long, complicated password. And what do we do? We'll talk later about this, about the research from Telstra. What, what do we do? Because it's so complicated and you've got to come up with different passwords for different accounts, not many of us do. A lot of people use the same password on several different accounts because we can't remember. It's not, it's, it's, you need to be a robot to remember all these different passwords. So that, that's benefit number one. The other benefit is that, that none of your data will now be on a company server. So say, let's use PayPal as the example. If, you, you, if you've got a pass key, the information required to log into that site is on your computer, not their, not their server. And you justifying it with your pass, your your face ID, your touch ID, is the 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 second factor of authentication that's required. So you think about all the news we've had about data breaches, and people trying to trick us into giving over our passwords. Well, that's going to be a thing of the past because how can a, how can how can you be tricked into giving away a digital key that's on your on your computer? How can you be tricked into giving away your touch ID and face ID. So the it's it's another barrier in front of these of these phishing email scams. So I think winners all around here. Now what happens in the case of Apple users, the digital pass keys are backed up securely in your iCloud keychain. If you're a Mac user or an iPhone user, this is where Whenever you come to a site and it'll suggest it'll it'll suggest the password, you just got to either approve it with face ID or touch ID. That's the keychain working. So the digital pass keys will be part of that digital keychain. And so if you were to log in on on in from the same account, but on your Mac, iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, then all you need is your touch ID or face ID to verify that it's you, and so you can access it. Now this isn't a solo. Apple Venture, Google and Microsoft are supporting the news, this new authentication standard as well. And you're going to see this on their respective platforms from this year as well. Now, it's also possible to log into with a passkey on a non-Apple device using just your iPhone. So what the site will do is generate a QR code, which is scanned by your iPhone before you verify it with your Touch ID or Face ID. So it's not limited to just uh, Apple devices and Apple properties as well. So it is expanding. And as I said, Google and Microsoft and Apple are all on the case. This is great news because we have heard some horror stories about what's involved with trying to remember passwords, come up with passwords, which brings us to this new research by Telstra. 78% of us... Not me. I've got pretty complicated passwords, but this could apply to you. 
78% use the same password across multiple accounts and include things like pet names, favorite teams, and birth dates. If you know me very well, you would have been, if you've been listening, I'm a South, I'm a South, former South player, South supporter. So I, I can tell you now, if any hackers are listening, there is no rabbitos in any of my passwords, okay? So don't bother. But the study shows that 1.4 million Australians use the same passwords for 10 or more different accounts. And 1.5 million admit they keep their passwords handy. So at hand, like on the fridge or in their wallet. So if you lose your wallet, you're not going to just lose your credit cards. You can lose all your passwords as well. Now, this, this is no laughing matter. Australians lost $194 million, have already lost it so far this year, to scams and hackers. So having a strong password is the best way of protecting ourselves. So I mentioned the pass keys earlier. They're, they're coming, but for, for now, you still have to have solid passwords. And it, it really it amazes me that still we have cases where 13% of, of these people surveyed use generic passwords. And I'm talking password as their password. Or 123456 or 123ABC. You're just asking for trouble. If a password is the lock on your door, then having a password like that means there's no lock on your door. Everyone's going to come in and out as they please. One in 10 said they use their favorite sporting team while another 17% use their birth date. It's not hard for people to find out your birth date and it's not hard also to know your favorite team. So if you're, if you're listening right now and your password is your favorite team and your birth date, I would really, I'd really take a look at changing your password as soon as possible. Now, we do need, Telstra says, of course, we need to have stronger passwords or phrases. A phrase is a better thing to do. So rather than saying, rather than my password being rabbitos123, which it's not, okay, you should have um, umbrella, shoe, shovel, two, 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 or whatever, whatever numbers you want. So that way, three phrases, the three words strung together that have got nothing to do with each other. And that way, very hard to crack. Now, you've got to remember these, of course. So I'd suggest perhaps maybe memorizing them. Don't don't have them, don't have them like in a book or on the side of your fridge. Maybe put them as a as a note or something in your phone. Your phone is also secured with a passcode. So if you lose your phone, passcode is there, face ID is there, so it's protected. At least you've got a backup to to if you if you do forget. But if you do put in these passwords, the system you're using, whether you're on Android, iOS, Mac, Windows, there are ways for those systems to remember these new passwords. So just remember that. But as we said at the top, pass keys, I think are going to be the saviour for all of us because we won't have to come up with these silly pass passwords. We can just use the pass key and verify that with Face ID or Touch ID. I'm looking forward to that day. If you want to find out about both of those stories, about the research and uh, the our passwords, our weak password game, and also the pass keys and how it works, you can check all of that out at techguide.com.au. Keeping you updated and educated. Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. 
Now, you all know I'm into my EVs, and I know that all of you are starting to get interested as well. I bought my first, I bought my Tesla five years ago. And just as an update, I actually have sold the Tesla, and I'm awaiting the delivery of my new EV, which is the Mercedes Benz EQE 350. Uh, that's on order. It should hopefully be with me in the next uh, couple of weeks. But the EV market is a lot different today than it was five years ago when I was shopping around. I, I had a Mercedes-Benz before my Tesla, and I've got to say that if a Mercedes had an EV back then, I would have bought that. They didn't have that, so I went into the Tesla. Today, though, is a different story. Back years ago, even as, as recently as a couple of years ago, the choices for EVs for, for drivers was uh, pretty high. Pricing was, was pretty high. That was a bit of a barrier Barrier to entry was just how expensive the EVs were. But you know what? Today, it is a totally different story. Well, earlier last week, we heard from MG. MG Motor, who happened to be the major sponsor of the South Sydney Rabbitohs. MG Motor announced the MG4 51 kilowatts. So their base model will be priced. They announced this, 38 990 plus on-road costs, making it the cheapest, the most affordable EV in Australia. First EV priced under 40000 in Australia. So really brings it within reach of those people who are thinking of switching to an EV. Now, the, the MG4, the Excite 51 hatchback, has a range of 350 k's and has a seven-year unlimited kilometre warranty. So 51 is 51 kilowatts is the capacity of the battery. So 51 kilowatts. So the higher that figure, the more charge you can store and the further the range. And what, you, what you're paying for when, when car EVs become more expensive, apart from the brand and the styling and the size of the car, what you're paying extra for is the extra, not only the extra battery storage and battery size, but also the power it can produce. So you see, you'll see cars that are that go zero to one hundred in in four seconds are going to be a lot more expensive than a car that does zero to one hundred in ten seconds. So it's there the variables that make the cars, the EVs, more expensive. So in this case, MG was sitting pretty with their MG four as the cheapest electric car, but BYD swung into action Thursday. So two days after MG announced Australia's cheapest EV, BYD, which Chinese company, BYD, by the way, for those who don't know, is short for Build Your Dreams. BYD came out on Thursday evening with the new Dolphin, priced at $38,8990 plus on-road costs undercutting MG by 100 bucks to technically become, they become then the cheapest EV in Australia by 100 bucks. So I think, look, having the title of the cheapest EV is is great, but for $100, you, it's, I think it's going to open that the same group of customers are going to be looking at both. Now, these are similar cars as well, by the way. The The MG4 and the BYD Dolphin are five-door hatchbacks. They're hatchback. They're a bit smaller, of course, uh, and uh, the you have, both about have the same sort of range as well, 
And so they're pretty much like for like in terms of the the size of the battery, the range, and and the actual size of the vehicle as well. So it's a it's a battle royale that's erupted at the bottom end of the market here. And and I think look, customers are the winners here. Customers are the winners because they want your business. They want you to buy their vehicle. And so if they're competing for your dollars, the winner is the customer. So it just it creates not only more choice, but also uh, it, it really it's really forcing the manufacturers to come up with something that's both affordable yet high quality. And both vehicles, by the way, the MG4 looks fantastic. Uh, it's got a really nice interior. It's got a lot of safety features as well. BYD Dolphin also boasts a a it's a five door hatchback. It's got a lot of storage in the in the rear compartment. It's got a 12.8-inch touchscreen as well that can be rotated to either landscape or portrait orientation, depending on your preference. It's got all the connectivity, Bluetooth and all that, Apple CarPlay, as does the MG, SatNav built in, as does the MG. So pretty much you can tick the, fe- the features off that, they are, that they're providing for customers, uh, but at that much cheaper price. Now, I think this is going to really move the needle for EV, the EV market in Australia. Because before this, Tesla was obviously dominating. They were sort of the had the first mover advantage. When they released the Model Three, that suddenly became an affordable EV. And now these vehicles are going are even more affordable still. So we're seeing now the clear clearer tiers of prices for these EVs. And so the customer then I think will come to understand them a little better. So. You get this much, you pay this much, this is what you get, and so on. So it's now becoming a lot clearer for a potential EV owner to see what's what, to see what they get for their money in terms of range and all of those things, and I think is only a good thing. Competition is good. Competition is great for the customer, and this is exactly what we've got with BYD and MG and other brands. There's other brands that are offering uh, electrified versions of their vehicles now as well. You've got to remember – that MG, they also produced, have been producing petrol cars for quite a while. BYD's only produced electric cars. But other brands are coming up with vehicles that are EVs from the ground up. They're not converted older platforms that have been electrified. These are original EV platforms that, that were built to be EVs, not just old petrol models that are converted to EVs as well. That's what we're seeing as well. A lot to digest there. If you need to know, find out more. There's the MG story and the BYD story. You see pictures of both as well. You can check them both out at techguide.com.au. Well, last week I was invited, along with a lot of other, few other tech journalists, uh, including my mate Trevor Long. We were there together. Uh, we attended the Optus main headquarters, so their campus over at Macquarie Park here in Sydney. That's their headquarters. We were invited to Optus Tech Day. Now, this was a day where Optus was going to showcase their features and services available on their network. And, And I'll explain later what we saw and what's available. But it was great to see that they had all their their executives from all the various departments who, who look after various parts of the business. But also, even more refreshing to see the Optus CEO, Kelly Bayer-Rosemarin. Now, those of you who were Optus customers or even heard about the Optus data breach back in September last year will be familiar with her name. 
uh, and they may have seen her in an early press conference at the at the start of the dramas when the breach was discovered and 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 was being spoken about in the press. In the in that period of time, uh, and like I'm involved here as well, there was I think I was a bit disappointed with the lack of response that we got, lack of help we got from Optus in terms of uh, sharing information from from the inside about how they were dealing with the breach, how they were dealing with customers, all of these things, all of these things at that time, and I and I'm not alone in this opinion. I think Optus probably could have done a lot better. That they, I think, given their time again, they probably would have done things differently. So it was, it was really refreshing to see Kelly Bayer Rosemar and kick off Optus Tech Day with a, a really good presentation. She gave a great overview of the business, uh, the services and features that have been introduced, the support for customers, all these various things that are in in the works. There's a lot of B two B, a lot of, lot of um, former New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian, who now works for Optus. She's in charge of their B two B, their business to business side of things as well. A lot of progress in that side. Of as well, but in her in Miss Bayer Rosemarin's presentation, I did catch in one of her slides uh, looking at the year ahead, and two of those caught my eye. There were actually three in that in that column of challenges. Number one was rebuilding trust, uh, and the third one was the NBN service below customer expectations. Now I'll address that last one, the NBN one first. And I am actually a case in point where I was an Optus customer for 25 years and wanted to update my, my account to a fibre-to-the-premises account. And it's very well documented. You can see it on Tech Guide. That was so poorly handled, it led me to sack Optus as my NBN provider. And after 25 years that I didn't get the, the customer service or the, the, there was no zero satisfaction for me. There was zero on, the, in the, on their part. I thought, look, I'm out. This is too hard. You should have done this better. So I'm really I'm, – I'm glad to see that they've recognized that their NBN service is below customer expectations because I certainly left Optus because it was so bad. Getting back to the first one, though, rebuilding trust. Now I stood up at this at this presser they do, they opened up the floor to questions and I and my, the question I asked was this. I said I noticed on one of your slides you mentioned the fact that you need to rebuild trust with the customers. I can appreciate that the last 9 months have presented their challenges. What have you learned about the business and what have you learned about your customers in that period of time? And she gave a very very long answer. And uh, basically, she said, look, the, our mission was to protect customers, to ensure that they, that they didn't come to harm. And that really brought the team together. It, it, she said that it was important to build a culture and have a strong team around you uh, and you know, well ahead of when you actually need it. She said she was very proud and grateful to the whole team about how everyone responded and really leaned into the crisis. She said we, that she saw the best of everybody and working together meant they could deal with the incident effectively under enormous pressure, these are her words, and really continue to focus on customers and the right priorities. But she did admit that things could have been done differently. This is, I'm now I'm quoting her, so that I'm, not, I'm not putting any spin on what she said. This is exactly what she said word for word. 
there was a lot of information around, some of it right and some of it wrong. We could have managed that better. Now, that just goes back to what I was saying earlier about the information provided by Optus was insufficient for me to report on it to and, and respond to my readers, who are also Optus customers, to their inquiries, to their concerns. So I, I fa- I'll say right now, I think Optus failed right there. And she said, we could have managed that better. She also goes on to say, we could have explained how complex the process was that we were going through. I would love to have heard that. I would have spoken about it on the radio, on TV, on Tech Guide. Would have loved to have done that. The customers saw our actual response, not just what they read about our response. Okay. Well, I know for a fact that a lot of the customers never heard from them. Their customers, who happen to also be my readers, said, have heard nothing. Can't, no, no idea. So that was really disappointing to hear that. But she goes on to say that all the metrics that we tracked have now stacked really strongly. So in other words, the customers they lost, she says they've got back and then some. Uh, She she said that they appreciated, customers appreciated that we were transparent in a way that has not been seen before in corporate Australia. Wrong. We saw it before when Samsung and the Galaxy Note 7 drama. Now that is, if, if they write a textbook about hand, how to handle a crisis, then Samsung should write it because they handled that crisis as huge as it was and as costly to their reputation and the bottom line as it was, they handled that impeccably. They, were, they kept us in the loop. They gave us all the information we needed. They sent it out to independent study and review and came back with the same conclusions that they, they realized what was wrong and they went ahead and fixed it, replaced it, and moved on. And in my opinion, Samsung's reputation is probably better today than it was before the Note 7 because they handled, they took it on the chin, handled it, were very honest with customers, and, the, and they fixed the problem and came out even better than they were the year before. Now, Optus have got a bit of work to do here. I don't think they were as transparent as, as Miss Bayer Rosemarin was saying. I think they could have been a lot more transparent, to be honest. She did also say, though, she did admit there's still a bit of work to do to rebuild the reputation and trust in the eye of customers. Now, here's her quote. For people who are not customers, that's going to take a longer amount of time for us to rebuild that trust and ensure people are focused on what we actually do every day. What motivates us as a team, which is delivering a great solution with leading innovation to our customers as we continue our endeavor to build the most loved everyday brand in Australia with lasting customer relationships. Obviously, there were other learnings we took away about cyber crisis management, and those will be fully implemented. We are striving to be the best that we possibly can be when it comes to security practices. So that was... That was how she addressed it, and it was the first time I'd really heard her speaking as candidly about the whole breach uh, to to a group of journalists, not just to individual publications. She did give some interviews to the Fin Review, some puff pieces that were written in the Fin Review uh, about Optus and how this whole crisis was handled. But I'm only speaking on behalf of myself. I was an Optus customer, but also on behalf of my readers. A lot of my readers and you guys, some of you listeners as well, contacted me about how you guys were Optus customers and how this was worrying you, this whole thing, this whole data breach. Now, Optus also, the day was not just about 
uh, us talking about how they need to improve, but also about the their network and the features. The first feature, and this is impressive, is what they call the living network. So this is the menu of features that Optus customers can access through the My Optus app, which includes Optus Pause, so you can pause your home and mobile connection. There's also Network Pulse, so you can actually visualize the Optus network and the towers around you. They've also got call effects, which can trigger in-core skills like a, a coin toss. But they've also got Subhub. Now, if you've been to your streaming services, Subhub is a dashboard where you can put all your streaming services and keep track of all your subscriptions and easily pause and swap services when you need to. And in fact, if you've got three or more eligible services in Subhub, you'll get a 10% discount on each of them every month. So it's a great way to group them together. They were also talking about cloud gaming. Now, cloud gaming, this is the future of gaming. They've, they've formed a partnership with Pentanet and NVIDIA to have this cloud gaming services. And what this means is the players won't need a console to play the latest games. All they'll need is a controller and a connection to the Optus 5G network, which will be optimized to get them a fast and responsive experience. What I didn't know was that Optus is involved in a service called Smart Spaces where customers can purchase a range of smart products like smart doorbells, security cameras, sensors. They could even install and set up smart TVs. And you don't even need to be an Optus customer to enjoy this service. So you get a range of products to choose from and then they come and install it and set it up for you in your home. I know that's going to be a very popular feature, especially for older users who are not as tech savvy but want that, they want the latest smart products in their home. If you want to read more about our day, our Optus Tech Day and that actual interview, the uh, well, her answer to my question, uh, you can read about all of that at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennick. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Norton. They're the company that can keep you and your family safe online. It's a new year and our digital generation continues to see a rise in cybercrime and data breaches. Don't leave your devices without protection or your personal information open to exposure. It's time to have a plan to keep your devices and personal information protected. Save your time and money should the unthinkable happen and your devices are at risk to cyber threats like malware, ransomware, or viruses, or your personal information being exposed to cyber criminals looking to trade your details on the dark web. Introducing Norton 360 Platinum with device security, a VPN for online privacy, parental controls and identity protection with dedicated restoration support and dark web monitoring. You have a comprehensive plan in place to help ensure your information stays in private. It's peace of mind for your devices and your identity. With Norton 360 Platinum, if you become a victim of identity theft, you'll have access to their dedicated identity restoration specialists to help you address your identity theft claim and help you resolve it. Norton 360 Platinum is available now at Harvey Norman, JB Hi-Fi, or online at au.norton.com. And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennick. We are kicking off the reviews this week with the Google Pixel tablet. Now, this is – I'm very impressed with this product. This is a, a quite a versatile device that has plenty of uses in your home. And it's not just a tablet either. There also comes with a with a docking, docking stand and charging stand. That's a hub, they call it. So I think 
that that little the, the included dock uh, as well as the tablet itself, of course, add up to a pretty pretty cool product that you can be used all ar- all around your house. Now, those of you familiar with Google's products, of course, if you're a Pixel smartphone user, then this will be a familiar look and feel to you, including its design and even running Android 13, a lot of the same features uh, that you'll find on the tablet as well. So if you're if you're in the Android ecosystem, and it's in particular the Google Pixel ecosystem, you will feel right at home here. The Android tablet has a 10.95-inch LCD display, has a, a resolution of 2560 by 1600, and has the soft-touch rear panel and edges. And it's also powered by the Google Tensor G2 chip. So that means solid performance, a lot of speed. So using the tablet is a breeze. Similar to what Apple does with their products. You know, they've got the M1, M2 chips now. It's all these companies now running their own silicon with their own hardware. That adds up to a better a better experience, better battery life, uh, all over a better better way to do things. Now, the onboard, the tablet is 8 gig of RAM and 128 or 256 gig of storage. There is no micro SD card slot. So uh, there's never really been any on, on, a, uh, on a Pixel device. They, they rely on you tapping into the cloud and using Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and all that. So they don't really like the uh, the physical memory expansion. Now, as I said, with the tablet comes a charging dock, which actually ticks a few boxes. It does serve a few purpose. First up, and this is, I'm pretty sure you can relate to this, it keeps the tablet charged when you're not using it. How many times, tell me if, if I'm wrong, have you picked up the iPad or an Android tablet that's been laying around in your house? You want to use it, but there's no charge left. It's dead. You've got to charge it up. That's a very common occurrence. So that's that's a great reason to have that dock to keep it charged up. The dock also can position the tablet comfortably so you can view apps, your content, make and receive video calls, and keep an eye on your smart home devices because it's also a smart home hub. So that's... Case number two, and what the what the the dock also offers are, are four speakers, so it actually enhances your viewing and listening experience when the tablet is magnetically attached to the dock. That's how it attaches with a magnet. There's some little contacts on the back of the tablet that that make contact with the hub, the dock, whatever you want to call it, and that's what uh, that's what power to charges it, but also. That tells it that, okay, you're connected. I'm going to use my speakers here. The speakers on the tablet are okay, but the ones in the hub, in the dock, way better. Way, way better. There's also, if you are using the tablet on its own, there is a USB-C port, so you can charge it with a cable. So if you're out and about, you can charge it with a cable rather than just through the charging dock as well. Now, on board the tablet are a number of features you'll find on smart TVs, including Google TV. So anyone of you who maybe has a Sony or a TCL, some of these brands that run Google operating systems will be very familiar with this because this basically replicates that experience on the tablet. So if you're, if you, when you fire up the Google TV app, it'll give you all access to your the streaming services you've signed in for and allows you then to watch and stream movies and TV shows right there on the tablet. And if it's attached to the dock, 
you're getting that. You don't even have to hold the tablet. It's there positioned perfectly, and you're getting the much better sound from the dock. Would have been nice, though, one thing. The screen, the tablet screen, the display only has a 60 hertz refresh rate. So, look, the resolution is nice and crisp and bright, but that higher refresh rate would have made it good, not it would have made it great, not not just good. It would have been much smoother for not just watching only videos, playing games. That is what keeps things moving along nicely. Like if you've got a Pixel 7 Pro, that supports 120 hertz refresh rate. So uh, it, it has, even though that has a much smaller screen, and I, I don't know whether it's going to be, it's, it's a cost thing, but this isn't cheap. I thought they might have had 120 hertz on the 10.95-inch the display. That's, that's one thing I would have changed. I would have had 120 hertz refresh rate on that as well. Might have, if you go into this trouble, go all out. But that aside, video, watching the video content was still good. It, just, it could be just a little bit better. Now, audio-wise, I've already spoken about the, t the speakers on the tablet themselves. Pretty good. But when you put it back on that dock, on the charging hub, wow, so much better. We're talking there's four speakers and really good bass response too. So it really does add a lot more authority to what you're watching and listening to. It's, if, you had a, if you were in a room, you could easily fill up the room with sound just out of that. And music, of course, sounds great. So if you want to get your supply, your background audio, or maybe even have a have a party and let this power, let this be your audio experience, then it will do the job. Now it's this is a sort of product, right? So it's a hands-free experience if you don't have access to the family TV. So say you want to watch a movie and someone else is watching something on the TV, you can then use this perhaps as your little mini smart TV. So it's a good alternative if you do if you do that. Now for video calls, I mentioned earlier, eight megapixel front camera gives you full HD 1080p quality. The rear camera is also eight megapixel, but who who takes photos with a tablet? I don't know. It's it's nowhere near as good as the phone you got in your pocket, uh, the camera you got in your pocket on your phone. So I think yeah, that's probably the best way to stick to that. The charging hub itself. So this isn't. Yes, it's meant to be rested on a surface, but it's small enough for you to take wherever you want. So it can look nice amongst your in your, on your decor, match your decor, but it's the sort of thing you can actually carry room to room, including the hub and the tablet itself. So uh, it was it was it not it's a easily transportable around the home, and and it's pretty much a home use product. There's no 4G or 5G on the tablet, so if you do take it out. You are only going to have access to – you need Wi-Fi to connect to it. You don't have 4G or 5G options for it. So, And if you are using it, it does offer about 12 hours of playback. So you might want to take it on a flight or on a, on a bus trip or a drive or whatever. Then it does still work the same as a regular tablet, but it just doesn't have a 4G or 5G. It only has Wi-Fi. You can probably connect your phone as a hotspot if you need to connect or download something as well. Uh, it is a as I said, it's not you're not going to take it anywhere. I found I found that when we when I used it, I used it more in the dock when it was resting on the dock rather than in my hand. I just found it was a lot a lot easier and and that sounded better as well. Uh, it's also here's a cool feature too. If it's it's in the dock, a digital photo frame. You can choose to have your favorite Google Photos on the screen, so it's it's going through, cycling through. You can select a folder or whatever you want to do. Your, your favorite photos are there, or you can just display the time. I had a big clock on mine as well. So it, it's also, though, a smart home hub. 
So if you've got your lights and security cameras, uh, you can do you can not only monitor those and control them, but you can also do things like set up automations. And the automations are all around the time of day. So if you say, okay, bedtime, you might have an automation that turns off the TV, turns off the lights and does all those things. You have maybe another automation for when you arrive home, maybe it turns the lights on, puts the kettle on, uh, turns the TV on. When you leave home, similar thing, turns everything off. When you wake up, can turn things on, turn on the kettle, turn on the coffee machine. All of those can be programmed in the smart home hub that's on board as well. So it's a tablet. It's a smart speaker too, because you can use Google Assistant and ask it questions, ask for content. So it does that as well. It's a smart home hub also, digital photo frame. It can do all of these things. So it's more than just a tablet. It's priced though, at 899 bucks, So it is a tad expensive, but when you consider what it can do, I think a Nest Hub is cheaper than that, I'm pretty sure, or maybe around the same price. But this is something that's a bit more versatile than just having the Nest Hub, which is you can't take the screen. Well, you can't take the screen with you everywhere, but the, the, the base is attached, whereas this one you can detach the screen from the, from the base and use it as just a tablet, or you can use it as a smart speaker or as a smart hub. depends on what you want to do with it. It is a very versatile thing, very multi-talented. If this was a cricketer, it'd be an all-rounder, I'd say. So the Google Pixel Tablet, $899. If you want to read our complete review, check it out, techguide.com.au. Alrighty, I've got one for all you golfers out there, myself included. I'm a member at the Coast over in uh, in Sydney uh, in uh, New South Wales here. It's right next door to St. Michael's, right next door to Ramwick. Uh, yeah, so if you're ever out there, say day at the coast. And I actually uh, use the predecessor to what I'm about to talk about, the MGI AI Navigator GPS Plus Golf Buggy. This is a remote control buggy, can carry your clubs around, has got some amazing new features. It was just announced today. I'm recording this on the 26th of June. Today, this was announced the new AI Navigator GPS Plus. They did a great job teasing this on social media. Uh, and finally, we see the final product here, the MG, MGI AI Navigator GPS Plus. It's a remote control golf buggy. But get this, it's got a four-inch color touchscreen. Also has GPS course mapping on board as well. So the display on top of the handle, which is... At the moment, I've got the current, the, the previous model, which is the all-terrain navigator, all-terrain. So navigator, all-terrain has got its own little controller, so I can I can pilot it around the course, so I don't have to carry my clubs. The the clubs are just carried on the back of this buggy. Uh, has that as well, but has the big screen. The screen on my one just tells me the power, the the the, the speed it's going, and various little in, bits of information. With this new model, it's got a bigger screen, a four-inch screen, almost the size of a phone on the on the top of the handles there, and gives you access to more than 40,000 courses worldwide. So it taps into GPS. I think they've got, a, they've got a partnership with GolfShot. So you can access that for free through the MGI AI Navigator GPS Plus. So and how, how often have you said, oh, how far to the front of the green or how far out am I from the hole? Then all you need to do is look at the top of the of your golf buggy from MGI and you'll see those distances as well. You can, if you want to, 
you can the MGI app is also includes those same maps and also gives you a way to score as well so that you can see a bit more information on the free MGI app as well. Now get this though, the buggy also has Bluetooth, so you can pair your phone and see all your SMSs, emails, and missed calls on the four-inch touchscreen. So you, you don't need to actually pull your phone out of your bag to see if you've had any SMSs or if you need to act on anything while you're on the course, which I think is a good feature. Now, it does have MGI's patented gyroscope straight tracker technology, which means it is pretty sure-footed on all kinds of terrain. As you know, golf courses have all kinds of hills and bumps and all these things, different sort of different surfaces. It can handle all of that with ease. It also has been redesigned. So the, the model that I have, the battery is actually sitting on the back of the buggy, whereas the new model, the battery is more centrally located. It's center-mounted. So you think about that. It's pretty heavy, the battery. That sits in the middle and balances things out. And there's also folds down smaller than the previous model, which is – that's a huge plus. So the handle, it's like a one – it's a one-shot – thing to unfold it so one one move unfolds everything and also folds down quite small as well i have seen it there's pictures of it in the folded position it definitely looks smaller than my the current model that i have which uh yeah takes up a bit of room in the boot but it's uh it's i wouldn't play a game without it i'm so used to just not having to carry my clubs or push a push a buggy this does it just with a, all I've got to do is hold a little remote control in my hand and that's all there. Same with this one. It has a remote control that works up to 100 metres away. I know I like to send the bag up up the fairway when the times that I've hit it on the fairway uh, so that it's the buggy is going up near my ball so I can uh, make, make my next shot. And the beauty of having GPS built in too is that when you are stopped at your ball and you're about to make your next shot, you can see the distance to the hole. So it gives you, uh, so you can choose the right club. Golfers know what I'm talking about. If you haven't played golf, you probably think this is all, it's all a foreign language, but it is a, if you're a golfer, this is something you're going to really want to take a look at. Now let's discuss the price, shall we? This ain't cheap. It's about the cost of an average membership of a golf club, this, uh, this buggy, which is 2699 bucks. I've got to say the previous model, which I've had for two years now, cost $2,000. And I think that was with a, that was on special. So this is an extra 700 jumps in if you want to get the latest and greatest. And this is way better than the previous model. This is uh, such a huge improvement. So if you think in the market for a remote control buggy, then I reckon just go all out. You've probably spent big money on your golf clubs already and your membership. So just throw all this into the pot as well. You might as well. You might as well. Once the golf bug hits you, money's no object. It's a rabbit hole for some people. So this could be part of that rabbit hole. The MGI AI Navigator GPS Plus, it's available now, priced at $2,699. And I've actually contacted MGI. So if you know anyone from MGI, tell them that I've sent them an email requesting a review unit so I can get out on the course, shoot a video, show you how it's how to use it, show it, show it what it's like. And run a review like I normally do with my other products. So uh, if you uh, if you're listening MGI, I'm all ears. If you want to get in touch with me, you can read our complete story about the MGI. See it for yourself. Check out the pricing as well. That's all at TechGuide.com.au.
Now, Hisense has become the last major company to release their 2023 range of TVs and laser TVs. We did speak with uh, Trevor Long on our Two Blokes Talking Tech podcast about this as well. If you want to hear about that one, tune in to episode 590, I think it is. But uh, today, I just want to talk about how the fact that, A, they're out, but also, too, the screen sizes, I think, uh, have a wider range of screen sizes than any other brand. What Hisense has done, they've given you options for screens from 55-inch, which is now considered small, to 130 inches. And that's between their TV range and their laser range. Let's start with the TVs. All of Hisense's ULED TVs now include mini LED technology. So this is a backlight of technology. So Thousands of tiny little lights now create thousands of dimming zones to offer better contrast, better clarity, better picture quality, better everything. So that is now standard across all ULED TVs. It was only on the flagship products last year. Now it's on everyone. Obviously, the flagship models have a slightly better mini-LED technology. That's what differentiates them. But every TV, including the entry levels, all have mini LED backlights, which is massive. Now, the screen sizes for the TVs, okay, TVs now, 55-inch, they've got a 100-inch model as well. So the sizes are 55-inch, 65-inch, 75-inch, 85-inch, which is big, and now 100. 100 inch and the 100 inch is under seven thousand dollars it's six triple nine which in store could be six four nine nine or even six three nine nine 85 inch tv under four thousand bucks that's the u7 kau so if you want if you want the flagship high sense tv which is the u6 kau the uled tv the sizes are 55 65 and 75. So no, sorry, that's that's the that, that's the entry levels. U6KAU, the mini LEDs, the flagship mini LED, the Pro TVs is the UXAU, 75 and 85 inches. That's four four triple nine and nine triple nine for the 85 inch mini LED Pro TV. The entry model is the what I just met, said, said the U6KAU. All these are on Tech Guide, by the way. There's a table of all these models. That's what I'm reading this off. There's a table on Tech Guide with the pricing, the sizes, everything there. So if you want to buy a 55-inch U6KAU, it's $1,199. All the way up to 75-inch TV, right? 75-inch U6KAU, $1,999. Under two grand for a 75-inch TV. So if you want to move up slightly to the U7KAU, the U7, then that's slightly better in terms of mini LED quality, refresh rates, all those things. So you're paying just a little bit more. The 75-inch in the U7 is then under 3000 bucks, 2999. 85 is 3999 and 100 as we said, 6999. That's the range of TVs. They also of course offer laser TV and laser cinema. Now what's the difference? Laser TVs include a screen that's an ambient light rejection screen. So it's available in 100-inch or 120-inch. It's part of this white glove service. They'll come and install the screen. And this is a short-throw projector, tri-chroma laser TV, 4K quality, VDAR U7 operating system, all there. 
Uh, I think they're on the lasers is U6 operating system, but very similar to the U7 on the TVs. Now, the laser cinema is just the projector itself. So you, you can go, it can handle up to 130 inches. So if you've got your own screen or a wall, it'll work there as well. That's available from August onwards. The laser TVs are available now. All the other TVs are in store this week. So check it out. And all those TVs, all the pricing, all the sizes, I know I muddled it up a little bit before, but you can go to Tech Guide and see all of those, the list of all the TVs, laser TVs, screen sizes and prices at techguide.com.au. You're listening to Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. If your home demands superior Wi-Fi, treat it with a masterpiece in connectivity. Bring your Wi-Fi up to speed with Orbi Wi-Fi 6E from Netgear. Orbi Wi-Fi 6E is the first and only Wi-Fi 6 quad band whole home mesh system opening an exclusive all-new 6 gigahertz superhighway that's fine-tuned to deliver unprecedented Wi-Fi speeds and smoother streaming simultaneously across the smart homes of today and tomorrow. It's Wi-Fi perfectly engineered. Wi-Fi 6E, the fastest Wi-Fi ever. Find out more at netgear.com.au forward slash best Wi-Fi. All your tech questions answered. This is the Tech Guide Help Desk. The Tech Guide Help Desk is brought to you each and every week by our good friends at Belkin, belkin.com forward slash au. They have a wide variety of products. We're talking cables, MagSafe products, power banks, earphones, you name it, they've got it. Check them out, belkin.com.au. It's actually belkin.com forward slash au. Now, I've had a lot of questions about eSIMs. People don't seem to fully grasp what an eSIM is. Now, eSIM is a is a non-physical SIM. So, you know, you got a little bit of plastic that goes in your phone. That's a SIM. SIM card made of plastic. Then eSIM is actually a tiny, it's part of your phone. So if you've got a, a, a more recent uh, flagship phone, even a mid-tier phone, they offer eSIM compatibility, which is a little tiny little circuit in your TV, uh, in your TV, in your phone that allows you then to activate a mobile plan and imprint all your information in that on that little circuit on the phone. So SIM stands for subscriber identity module. So basically identifies you on the network as you. When people ring your number, your phone rings. They know it's you. This is now an electronic version of that. So if you've got an iPhone or a Samsung phone, a lot of other phones have eSIMs as well, then you can activate the service with an eSIM. A lot of a lot of mobile virtual network operators are starting to do this as well. So now switching to a different carrier is now you don't have to mail get a, a bit of plastic mail to you, a SIM card. You can just scan a code, a QR code, and activate an eSIM on the spot. So you think now of uh, travellers. I know a lot of travellers, uh, people heading over to the Northern Hemisphere, the summer for Europe and America. They've, they, it's possible now a lot of those uh, prepaid carriers over overseas now offer eSIM compatibility. So you can actually keep your physical SIM on your phone and just activate the eSIM for your travels. 
and then prioritize your eSIM as well. So it's also another way to, rather than having a dual SIM phone, which is sort of that, it, it, dual SIM phones used to have two physical SIMs, now a dual SIM phone, and this is an, a, a later later iPhone, Samsung phones, can take a physical SIM as well as an eSIM. So you can have two numbers, one with a physical SIM, one with an eSIM on your, on your device. So setting it up, as I said, is really easy, uh, whether you're using an iPhone or a Samsung, whatever other device that supports an eSIM, really easy to get that start, get it started and also activate it on your, on your phone. And you know what? eSIMs, I think, are the future. I think there are some parts of the world where uh, iPhones are only eSIM, only accept eSIMs now, so they don't actually have the physical bits of plastic that you put in the phone. I think it's coming for everyone that we're going to one day not wave goodbye to the plastic SIM card, that eSIMs are going to be the norm from now on, I think. That is our show. The full-time siren has sounded. We appreciate you hanging out till the end here. We appreciate you listening to the show. If you need to find out more about anything we've spoken about, of course, you'll see it at techguide.com.au. And please get in touch with us. We love receiving emails from you guys. Info at techguide.com.au or click on the Ask Stephen icon on the right-hand side of the site. And that'll get an email straight into my inbox. We also want to thank our great sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you and your family safe online. These companies are brilliant supporters of the Tech Gods podcast. Can you please support them as well? That is it for this week. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with another show next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected. 